0: Hello, I'm Carrie, and I'm Emily and if you, like us, are slightly on the nerdy side and have an interest, fascination or musing for anything historical, then we have the podcast for you. Our podcast, A Nice Cup of History takes a historical event, place or person and delves into the facts, fictions and myths surrounding it, all whilst enjoying a nice cupper, or sometimes something stronger. Each week we finish with a special segment we call Ridiculous Deaths. Which looks into the absolute bizarre ways some people have died or survived, and what we can learn from them, such as why alcohol and sailing should never go hand in hand on a moonlit night, and why bridges and butts don't mix. We are listened to globally, which blows our minds. So, if you have any suggestions for topics for us to discuss, please let us know. So, come join us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, iHeart Radio, Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere you can get your podcasts from. And let's, let's get, get historical. historical. On this episode of Common Mystics, we find ourselves led to Illinois' Mississippi Valley, which in the 1740s was almost exclusively home to French settlers, African Americans, and natives. And it was here that victims of injustice called out to us from beyond the grave. I'm Jennifer James. I'm Jill Stanley. We're psychics. We're sisters. We are Common Mystics, We find extraordinary stories in ordinary places, and we have another one for you out of Kaskaskia, Illinois. Well, Jennifer, I got to
1: say that this story is kind of (laughs) depressing.
0: Most of our stories are kind of depressing. I know, but this one really hit me hard. I know. This is a tough one for a lot of reasons. And it's she old. She an old one. Yeah, I think she is, well, she, I think this story is definitely the oldest one that we've ever gotten. So I'm super Crazy. excited about it. Do you want to get right into it? Well, actually, I just wanted to say one thing. What? I know that this is actually our fourth episode of season two. However, really the the first two stories out of Shelbyville and Isidore, Michigan, they were kind of warming up for the series that's coming. Uh-huh. That's fair. Yeah, no, because um, it's it's a road trip series to Kansas and back. It's true. It's true. So I'm super excited for what's to come. And this is was our first stop on our epic road trip to uh, Kansas. That's right. And we were, as you said before, on our
1: epic first time ever Common Mystics road trip, where we spent a week in the car using our <laughs> Spideys driving around <laughs> the country. True. It was... Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it was a lot of sister
0: time. You loved it. <laughs> so, our intention mm-hmm. set our intention for us, Jen. We set out to find a verifiable story and, most importantly, to give voice to the voiceless. A story that we had
1: no idea about. No idea. Okay. So, we're driving and we're headed west towards St. Louis. We and. Are. We are. And as we were in the car, I was like, we can't pass Old Miss. We need to stay on this side of the Mississippi River, which is the east side of Mississippi, which would be um, the Illinois Mississippi Valley.
0: And I, for some reason, was stuck on Cahokia. That's right. I, I felt like we need to go to Cahokia. What else were you feeling with that? I had this image in my head of a white feather And like a long quill type of white feather, not one of those little ones that pops out of your pillow. You know what I mean? Right, right. Mm -hmm. No, for sure. So I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't know what that meant, but it seemed significant.
1: I was seeing Native Americans and I was seeing like the Native American blankets. It felt like a Native community.
0: Interesting, interesting.
1: So we, like you said, we drove to Cahokia. Jen, will you please give the listeners a kind of brief history of the area of Illinois, Mississippi Valley?
0: Totally. It's so interesting, Jill. Do tell. The French controlled this entire area at one time. The French had... Holdings in Canada, territories in Canada, and they had come down to this area, mostly fur traders, missionaries, and colonists. And they really had a strong impact on the culture of the area and the Illinois native peoples who lived there from the 1600s to the early 1700s. Now, do you remember Marquette and Joliet from history class? I do. So they explored the area in 1673, and they became the first Europeans in recorded history to explore the Upper Mississippi River. Isn't that interesting? That's very cool. And
1: you live near the town of Joliet, Illinois, which I think is named after Joliet.
0: I believe you are right. Mm. Now, by 1714... The principal European non-Native inhabitants of the area were Canadian fur traders, uh, missionaries, and soldiers. The soldiers were there to deal with the Native Americans.
1: And soldiers of what country?
0: Well, we're talking about France, okay, right? Great. So all of these peoples are French-speaking people. Gotcha. Okay. Now, the main French settlements in the area were established at Kaskaskia, Cahokia, where we said we were going, and St. Genevieve, which is in Missouri on the other side of the river. Gotcha. Okay? So Kaskaskia and Cahokia are two kind of sister cities that were both important French settlements at the time. And they're not like very far from each other either. Mm-hmm. One thing about this, I just want to give some historical context here because honestly, it blows my mind. Okay. At the time of our story, which we're going to get to in a minute, in the late 1740s, the United States did not exist. The continent had territories that England, Spain, and France claimed. Right. This is before the English colonies would gain their independence from Britain in 1776. And it was before, do you remember the Louisiana Purchase from history class? I do. Andrew that Jackson. didn't happen until no Jefferson. Wah, wah. Oh, so close. Mm, yeah, that's an F. Sorry, you failed that <laughs> test. Anyway, 1803. It wasn't until 1803 when Jefferson would purchase this huge expanse of land for the United States. Oh, that's so, anyway, right.
1: Because right? he commissioned
0: Lewis and Clark.
1: Yes. Oh my, Lewis and Clark, yes, he commissioned Lewis and Clark
0: to go and explore the territory that he had purchased in 1803, yes. So this Thank is you. way, way before that. So honestly, just a little bit of context because this blows my mind that we have a story from that's this old. Anyway, so the French were there, right? Right. And there were also Native American people living there, right? Right. Interesting enough, the name Illinois... The land of Illinois came from the French because the French named it after the Illinois Confederation of Native Peoples. Ah.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't realize Native Americans had a confederation. What does that mean
0: exactly? And just a, a group, I guess. They banded together and formed a group.
1: Okay. Okay. Similar okay. to the Native Americans that banded together in The Trail of Death out of Marshall County in season one? Like that? A
0: little bit? <laughs> the one the episode nobody listened to? Mm-hmm.
1: Maybe. Maybe yeah. we should all go back. Yeah, and nobody did that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one liked that one.
0: Well okay, three people li- like three people listened. Like you, me, and my mother in law. <laughs> Other than that, like <laughs> that nobody's nice listening her. to that. Hi Donna, thank you. <laughs> Okay. So um, anyway, so the French are there in this area. The Native Americans are there. And of course, not all is peaceful as frequently is the case when someone moves onto your homeland and calls it theirs, right? Mm. so there's there are these wars these fox wars that go on between the french and the native americans but here's the thing because the french aren't stupid and actually different tribal peoples didn't all get along so the french people who were there made allies of some of the natives and enemies of others and so effectively Mm. they were pitting the peoples against each other right really exploiting the conflicts that already existed
1: the enemy of my enemies are my friends, basically. Very opportunistic.
0: Yes, yes. And it's in this kind of environment that you see native women being like sold into marriage or slavery for political reasons, right? Like to seal an alliance between um, French and their tribes. Sure. We've seen that throughout history
1: with arranged marriages. Absolutely. We sure
0: have. Yeah. So you have this kind of merging together of cultures. But it's not just the French and the natives who are living in this area.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Who else?
0: Well, the French settlers were bringing African enslaved people into the Illinois country from as early as 1720. Oh, my gosh. So the Illinois country is part of the French Empire at that time. And they have a Code Noir Which is a a law that was issued to regulate the interaction of whites and blacks in colonial Louisiana. So to trans blacks, just let me just clarify. I'm saying blacks because I'm it was literally blacks, noirs, right? Code Noir. I was just gonna
1: just gonna mention that that the name was the Black Code in French,
0: right? Yes, and I'm yes, exactly. So um, that kind of sucks. There was one article that I think is particularly relevant to our story. One article of the Code Noir. Tell. It was Article 9, and I'm going to read it verbatim. It said, Children issued from the marriage of slaves shall follow the condition of their parents and shall belong to the master of the wife and not of the husband, if the husband and the wife had, have different masters. And there's also another one that indicates that no matter who the father, a woman's child will have the master of the mother. Right. So basically, the implications of that is
1: that if a woman is impregnated in any way, of any means, the child would be the property of the master, whether it be out of um, love, rape, et cetera. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. Whew, heavy. I'm very heavy so far. <laughs> it
0: is. It is. So,
1: so it, that is the historical context that we find ourselves in as we travel to Cahokia.
0: Right. So we get to Cahokia. And it lies, like you said, along the east side of the Mississippi River, opposite St. Louis, which is on the west side. Cahokia is old, Jill. It was founded mm-hmm. in 1699 by Quebec missionaries. Told you she old. old. <laughs> and the Quebec missionaries. But she looks good. She looks good for her age. She looks great for her age. She <laughs> sure does. The um, the Quebec missionaries named Cahokia after a tribe of the Illinois Confederation, which was called the Cahokia tribe, and that means wild geese. Isn't that cute? Oh, kind of.
1: Geese are it's mean kind of here. They'll cut you. Yeah,
0: geese aren't the nicest, but they're, the, when they're babies, they're cute. That's true. Mm-hmm. Not only that, this is super cool. You're not even going to believe this. Tell me everything. Cahokia happens to be not only the first European settlement in Illinois, but the first permanent settlement of the entire Mississippi Valley. Wow. Yeah. And I already said it became the center of, of center of French influence in the upper Mississippi. So like that's something.
1: So we stumbled upon the first permanent European settlement of the entire Mississippi Valley. That's right. And we are driving around Cahokia, feeling out our Spideys, and we end up at the Cahokia Courthouse. Do you remember?
0: I totally remember. Well, it's it's a weird-looking building in some ways.
1: It's very unique. Very unique. Mm-hmm. Tell me about
0: it. When you think of log cabins, you think of the logs laying horizontally, right? Like Lincoln Logs. Absolutely. But not this
1: courthouse.
0: This one was built around 1740 in the French-Canadian style of architecture. So the logs go up and down vertically. So it stands out. Mm. Mm -hmm. It also has a very cool wraparound porch.
1: Mm -hmm. Very quaint.
0: It was so unusually well built that in 1793, the people of Cahokia decided to make this structure that was built as a log cabin into a courthouse. And so it turned into the judiciary center of the area.
1: Right. Really the community center of the area. Because where you would vote, where you would get together and discuss whether or not laws have been broken to create laws. It's mm-hmm. really the center mm-hmm. of the community.
0: Mm-hmm. And businesses would be formed here, get licenses, land titles. But there were also criminal cases heard here.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-mm-mm. So when we were on the property, I think the first thing that you were getting, tell me about your impressions, Jen.
0: Getting out of the car and walking towards that building, I felt heavy-legged. Mm. I was
1: feeling as if I was apprehensive to approach. I was feeling as if like, I knew consequences were waiting for me beyond the process porch like as soon as I walked through into that courtroom I I just knew something was coming at me Mm. what else we were both feeling if you recall that the land in the building was really thick with spirits it was like a fog of energy oh my gosh
0: yes it felt like a crowd
1: Mm -hmm. it did
0: it did it felt like we were in the middle of a crowd it did it absolutely did what were you feeling Natives, Native Americans, I was feeling that pretty heavily. What else?
1: I was feeling a woman on trial. You know, it's funny. We had a conversation about how we were feeling as if the party that was being tried or questioned in a criminal matter was vulnerable, but also really combative. It was like this weird dichotomy between... Feeling like, oh, I'm totally screwed here, and and being angry about it. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, and you mentioned also a burial. Can you talk to me a little bit about what you were feeling?
1: Yeah, you know, it felt as if there were bones, or body parts, on the land. It wasn't buried properly. It felt as mm. if um, they were just kind of scattered. Mm -hmm. Do you remember what we were
0: smelling? Do you remember the god smell in the air? It was a phantom stench of, no joke, farm animals.
1: Yes. And we were like in a city.
0: Yeah. It felt like we were standing in a pigsty. It was so strong. It
1: literally smelled like we were standing in a pigsty. Right. So weird. So that was Cahokia. (laughs) That was Kokia. It's worth the trip. That Honestly, that um, courthouse really has a lot of energy to it. But Mm. let's get
0: into our research. Let's do it. So we found a story. Uh, Yes, our story takes place during the summer of 1748 in the French Illinois-Mississippi Valley, specifically a place called Kaskaskia. Now, there was a man named Jerome Matisse, and apparently he was looking for someone to help him out. What do you mean? Like some labor, some cheap labor. Oh, okay. So he goes to a slave owner named Marie Vincennes, and he's like, hey, can I get some help for lease? And he leases himself an enslaved woman named Marie Jean. Now, Marie Jean is originally from Louisiana, down south, and she speaks Creole and French. She's also about 20 years old.
1: So what did he want with her? I don't understand. Did he have
0: land? What was he doing with this 20-year-old? Interesting question. He did not have a farm. He was actually a boarder at the residence of Mr. and Dame Brousseau, and so he... And Marie Jean both resided there with the Brousseaus. I imagine that he did work for them and he needed Marie Jean's help to get the work done. And then he would be paid double, right? Because Marie Jean wouldn't have been paid. Oh, so he was doing it for profit. Yes, I would assume. So who else was living at um, the Brousseaus? Also living there was a 10-year-old Native American child who was also enslaved, and her name was Lisette, and she belonged to Madame Brousseau. So remember how I was talking about some of the dynamic between the tribal peoples and the French? One would presume that this Native American 10-year-old enslaved child was given to her for some political reason, or maybe even economic reason, who knows?
1: Well, I got a plot twist. Talk. There was another residence on the way.
0: What? hmm Tell me about Marie Jean. <laughs> yeah, this is where it gets a little interesting because she was with child. Wow.
1: Well, wow. I'm like, he leased out a pregnant 20-year-old? That doesn't make sense to me, but whatever. You do you.
0: You do you. Nobody knows when she became pregnant, if it was before the lease mm. or during the lease you feel in okay, the Okay, but
1: obviously it became yeah, it became noticeable. Which is terrible. Poor Marie, like just take a moment. She's an enslaved she's an enslaved person who oh, is impregnated. She's leased out and now she's in the stranger's house in a crowded place apparently with all these people in a not big cabin. It just sounds like the worst, the worst predicament to be in. How can this get any worse?
0: Well, well, first of all, we don't know the circumstances under which she became pregnant, whether or not it was consensual or not. So that could be a Fair, that is a
1: whole worse. That's <laughs> a lot worse. She doesn't have a husband
0: or a boyfriend out there. Ugh. Right. So anyway, so it becomes noticeable, as you said. And apparently this sparks a conversation between herself and Madame Brousseau. Sure, she's now, curious. Yeah. Oh, I would say so. And according to court records, they had a conversation. And Marie Jean said that she had been pregnant before and she knows the signs and she didn't feel any movement. So she was worried. Now, Dame Brousseau, she told Marie Jean that her pregnancy was probably a mole pregnancy. M-O-L-E. Have you ever heard that before? No. What is it? I had to look it up. Wikipedia is my friend. A molar pregnancy is a non-cancerous tumor that develops in the uterus as a result of a non-viable pregnancy. Oh, my gosh. Poor Marie Jean. So this is so sad. So although it was never disputed that Marie Jean's pregnancy seemed to have been doomed, right? They had this conversation, and court records acknowledge this. Everyone's on board. This baby is not, if it's a baby, it's not going to be a viable live birth. And
1: yet, within weeks, she would be accused of killing her baby, and the young slave would be jailed and tried
0: for the crime.
1: Mm-mm-mm.
0: How do we get here, Jen? You're not going to believe this. <sighs> this story is just bananas. This. this is. Are you ready? Because this is just bananas. So it's July, 1748. So it's hot, okay? And she goes into labor. The nature of the delivery and the subsequent events would be hotly disputed in court. Now here's what Dame Brousseau reported. Are you ready? I'm ready. Dame Brousseau is leaving her place of residence, her house, quote-unquote shortly after Marie Jean's labor. She's leaving her house in the early morning, and she sees... On her doorstep, the arm of a newborn from shoulder oh, to hand, God. which was all in one piece, she said, and also a piece of the skull, which seemed to be of the same child as the arm. Wow. She's pretty good at identifying baby body parts. My God. I know. <laughs> what a thing, weird like, thing to really? say. Oh, my God. Which was at three or four steps from her door where the pigs were digging. Thinking immediately that it was the child of Marie Jean, she brought the matter to Jerome Matisse. Which again is
1: very weird. Well, I, can you think, it like if you found like like this outside your door, would you be like, aha, Marie? No, I would be like, what in the name of the Lord?
0: I mean, if Marie Jean was the only pregnant person in her household, I guess it would be a logical assumption to make. I don't know. I think that's a stretch. So anyway, she goes to Jerome Matisse, and Matisse investigates the property. He looks around the the structure. He looks in the pigsty. He looks around. He's he's looking for bodily debris, and he assumes, just like everyone else in the household at this point, that Marie Jean has delivered and then discarded her child, okay? Oh, my so God. Now, that, that, that was the immediate assumption. What he finds is a shallow hole in the ground and a lot of blood, um, supposedly from the arms being torn apart by the dogs as they drag the bones to the door. Oh, gosh, I'm crossing myself right now. It was then that Dame Brousseau confronted Marie Jean with her apparent crime a crime which, by the way, Marie-Jean denied and would continue to deny throughout her arrest and trial. Okay, stop.
1: I just, I'm having an issue. So I just want to recap. So this young enslaved woman is pregnant. One July day, their body parts, and immediately after knowing that Apparently this pregnancy was in trouble. How could she and I say air quotes give birth to a child that far along that would have a fully developed arm? I it just doesn't make sense to me and then to have that that same young enslaved girl on child for that. It seemed pretty clear that this pregnancy was doomed. How did we get here? I just don't understand. Yeah.
0: Well, interestingly enough, there was an eyewitness to the entire event. Oh, who? Remember Lisette, the Native American enslaved girl that was owned by Dame Brousseau?
1: Oh, the 10-year-old?
0: Yes, the 10-year-old who could not speak French or Creole, by the way.
1: Okay, wait a second. So the 10-year-old saw... Marie Jean give birth there is there and 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 then discard the
0: child yes and she communicated this via gestures to Dame Brousseau according to the testimony
1: okay let's break this down because
0: she couldn't speak French I don't know
1: tell me what Lizette said because I don't at this point I don't believe anything that's going on it feels very contradictory and then here comes Lizette who's seen the whole thing go down tell me what happened
0: well yeah Lizette said, well, I say said, she signed. Lizette was the native slave girl owned by Dame Brousseau, right? Right. She was around 9 or 10 years old, but she could not speak French or Creole. So she communicated entirely via gestures. And according to Lisette and to Madame Brousseau, Lisette witnessed the labor, birth, and murder of the child. Okay, first of all, there isn't like sign language back then.
1: So she had to do a lot of gesturing to bring <laughs> someone to that conclusion.
0: <laughs> so I know that's pretty, pretty specific. She must have been like great at charades uh, or something. She may have drawn know.
1: pictures like with a stick in the grass, like or
0: the stick in oh dirt. I don't,
1: There's no way. Okay, go on.
0: Right, so she would testify at trial, and an interpreter was given to her. Unlike African enslaved people, a small number of Native American enslaved people were able to testify at trial. So the fact that Lisette was Native American and not African American actually meant that due to the Code Noir, her testimony held more weight than that of Marie Jean. Oh, Wow. How do you like that? I don't like that at all. I know. That really sucks. So
1: tell me a little bit about why Lizette would say that. Did she have a relationship with Marie Jean? Was it something, do you feel like it was coerced? Tell me, wh- I mean, it doesn't seem plausible, so tell me why she would she would gesture such things.
0: Well, Marie Jean and Lizette worked together. They were both enslaved. And they worked together at Dame Brousseau's home and in the stables. And it doesn't appear as if Marie-Jean liked Lizette, from accounts in the testimonies. Uh, What do you mean? Give me an example of that. Well, Marie-Jean didn't like that Lisette couldn't speak French or Creole. And um, she would yell at her a lot. And she called her stupid. There's actually, she actually uses those kind of, terms derogatory terms about Lisette yeah well okay (sighs) and Lisette is a child Marie Jean was the older of the two enslaved people so she would have been responsible for Lisette and Lisette's like Lisette getting her work done so Lisette would have had to answer to Marie Jean
1: in all fairness to Marie Jean the gesturing would get really tired quick And she's a child, 9 or 10. There's not a lot she can do. So Marie Jean would probably have to either teach her a lot or motivate her a lot. You know what I mean? Or pick up on some of her work.
0: Well, I think that the two resented each other. Because Lizette absolutely resented the fact that she had to report to another enslaved person. Because she's not in charge of her, right? She belongs to the boss Mm. or the the landlady, Dame Brousseau. Mm-hmm. Mm, So interesting dynamic there, and certainly, I think, motive, perhaps, to tell a lie that would get Marie Jean in trouble and maybe out of the household. Can you tell me or
1: give me excerpts of the trial that would um, stand out to you to demonstrate what you just described?
0: Yes. Okay. So I'm going to read some information from the actual court records, Okay, so this is about Lizette and her testimony. On this day, Lizette, Indian slave belonging to Dame Brousseau, residing within this of Kaskaskia Parish of the Immaculate Conception, ages 9 to 10 years old, who is of the Ottawa nation, not speaking French, whereupon we have ordered that the information that she gives us will be explained to us by Joseph Petit, who would have been her translator. Gotcha. Joseph Petit has explained that Lisette said she has seen Marie Jean in the stable near the house. Lisette, being outside at the breach, she saw Marie Jean with child in her hands. The child was crying. Marie Jean held the baby by the throat mm. and strangled it Lisette begged her not to kill the child Marie however told her to go away or she would beat her Lisette then saw Marie Jean tear her child into pieces and quarter oh it she then put the little body into into a hole in the stable where the two pigs were <sighs> Now, due to Lizette's testimony, charges of infanticide were brought against the enslaved African woman, Marie Jean, just 12 days, just 12 days after having given labor. Oh, my
1: gosh. Was Marie Jean questioned?
0: She was. Marie Jean, the records say, she said the following. I do not know if I had given birth to a child. Lots of stuff came out of my body, but having fainted, did not know what had happened since then. Having come there was much stuff that had come from my body. I had asked Lizette, the little savage, of Mister Brousseau, to warn her mistress. The little native girl did not. I gathered into my apron all that was around me and went to the house as best oh I could. My gosh, this is horrifying. So her, what she's saying is that she fainted and she woke up in a bloody mess, and that she asked the, and that she asked Lizette for to to go get help, and Lizette wouldn't. Wow. That's what Marie Jean said happened. Oh, my gosh. So obviously Marie Jean is saying she did not give birth to a live baby.
1: Right. And obviously, again, based on prior testimony and the determination of Dame Brousseau, this wouldn't have yielded a child. This pregnancy would not have yielded a child. So I don't understand why Lizette would say that. And it seems based on Marie Jean's testimony that the young Lisette didn't go warn Dame Brousseau, but maybe she did. Maybe she did tell Dame Brousseau. And that's when Dame Brousseau came up with the, the
0: arm situation. Right. I mean, the Dame Brousseau story coincides with, with Lizette's story, but Lisette's story doesn't make any sense. Right. So she was in court. She was tried. She was, she was tried in Kaskaskia for this.
1: So based on my research, the justices couldn't come to a decision. Even with all that evidence, they're like, you know what? She could have she ripped the baby apart. That's fine. So they waited a year. And then later that year, they took Marie Jean to the Supreme Council of Louisiana at New Orleans.
0: OK, so this is like the Supreme Court. Right.
1: And at that time, there was a trial in New Orleans. So they brought Marie Jean down there. When she was there in court for a second trial, when she was in court, she was said to be pregnant again upon arrival. Wow. Yes. So after this incident, she had been pregnant again, and that's within a
0: year. So it had to happen fast after. No. After. Oh, God. So definitely, definitely the father is someone in this household.
1: Definitely it's someone in the Brousseau's house.
0: Right. We weren't sure before, but this pregnancy, daddy lives there. Exactly.
1: Can you tell me what happened when she was on trial for the second time
0: in New Orleans? Oh, so the judgment was something called more amply informed. And apparently what this means is that the facts weren't clear or it was deemed that there wasn't enough proof to convict. Now, this is not an absolution. It doesn't mean she's innocent. I mean, this is French law. Wait, this is not like English law, right? This is French law. So she's like in a limbo now. So the court decides they're going to gather more evidence. You still could die. We could still, you know, You could still be guilty, um, but you are not innocent. So
1: what could have happened to her?
0: Well, that's just the thing, Jill. Nobody knows what happened to her. What were her options? Well, they they weren't up to her. Mm. Her master could have sold her down south near New Orleans. She could have come back to Illinois country. She could have been mandated to prison. She could have been in a prison cell, exactly. Mm. But nobody knows what happened to her. What do you mean? There are no further records of Marie Jean after the court issued its verdict,
1: which wasn't really a verdict after all. I am completely shattered by this story. What do you think?
0: Aw. Well, I call bullshit. She did not murder her child. There's no way. There's no way. I believe Marie Jean... 100%. And Lizette was a little too happy to finally get her
1: voice heard on trial. Like, she was very descriptive. And she's like, and she said she was going to beat me. I don't know. She was very boisterous about it.
0: Right. She's mean to me. Exactly.
1: That was really, (laughs) like, she said these fantastical things. But basically, she was like, this girl's mean to me. And she's a monster. And she described what a monster would do, ripping apart a baby.
0: You are exactly right. Wow. How? Wow. Mm-hmm. That hmm. wow! I think Research. you're absolutely right. Oh my gosh! But now this is interesting. We have already established that Lizette wouldn't have liked Marie Jean, right? And Marie Jean didn't like Lizette. But Lizette might not have been the only person who would want Marie Jean out of the household. Why? What do you? Okay, stop. Who else? Well, let's remember she's working. Let's remember right. one key point here. This all didn't come to light hmm. because Lizette sounded an alarm over what she saw. This came to light because Dame Brousseau said she walked out of her house and saw baby parts. That's what sounded the alarm. Oh my God, you're right. Uh-huh. Oh my God. And um, let's not forget that Marie Jean got pregnant in Dame Brousseau's household. At very least. Uh-huh. So Dame Brousseau wants this hussy out of her house. Oh, that's terrible. And
1: it's not like Marie Jean has any means to even consent to sex. She's she's looked at as property. I can't. So you're right. It gives Dame Brousseau a, a straight up motive, and Lisette's story is just not plausible.
0: It's just it's just not. It's not. Could Dame Brousseau completely make up the story and coerce Lisette to go along with it? I mean, she wouldn't have to coerce. She's her master. Yeah. She'd be like, this
1: is what you need to say. Good
0: point. It's not like Lisette would have had a choice. Oh, absolutely. Right? Oh, my gosh.
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. Do we have any evidence to support our psychic impressions?
0: Okay. So do you remember um, when I told you that Dame Brousseau found the baby arm and the skull by her doorstep? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I what I didn't tell you at that time was that she picked it up and she reburied it somewhere safe. Oh. And so then so she, she so she got rid of the evidence. That's what she said. She said that she she buried it. So now um June of 1749 comes around. It's the second trial down in New Orleans and the court is like, "What evidence do you have?" right? I mean, reasonable question. Mhm. Yeah. So, Dame Rousseau said that she went back to the place where she safely buried the arm and the baby skull, and it was gone.
1: Oh, my God.
0: The baby arm was gone. The one that she said was intact from shoulder to wrist was completely gone, but there was still a piece of the skull. So, she brought the piece of the skull to the court, and it was examined.
1: Oh, good. What
0: happened? Are you sitting down?
1: Mm-hmm. I've been sitting.
0: Five surgeons were enlisted to examine the skull. And in the end, they declared not only was it not that of a newborn, but it was that of a child that was a few months old.
1: Oh, my God.
0: And it had been buried underground for some time. I
1: knew that was some bullshit. As soon as I heard it, I was like, none of
0: that could (laughs) have happened.
1: Knew it. I knew it. That woman. Who did she dig up? Oh my God, I didn't even think
0: of that. I can't
1: even. Oh my God. Who did she dig up? Oh my
0: God, I didn't even think of that. She dug up somebody's baby. She's a monster. She is a monster. So she's obviously a liar. Oh, yeah. She obviously had something to do with this. Oh my God. So tell me, you told
1: me that Marie Jean was lost in the records, but is there any record of vindication?
0: No, Jill. Marie-Jean and Lizette are not mentioned again in any of the records. Not in Louisiana. Not in Illinois. They're just gone from history. Disappeared. (sighs) Poof. What? Gone. We don't know what happened to Marie-Jean.
1: What a crazy, horrible story. And I just want to say one thing. I want to say that I... When we look at this and we look at the testimony and why this was an important trial, it wasn't because a enslaved child was killed. It was because an enslaved woman destroyed the property of her master. And that's why this went to trial. And that's why they were taking it seriously. Not because a child's life didn't come into fruition. So
0: That's true.
1: I'm really sad inside. But Marie Jean gave us the opportunity. Marie Jean, we got you, girl. We got yes. you. Yes. Yes. We got you, girl. We know what happened. We had the opportunity to bring this story to light and to talk about it and to say, yeah, no, you are completely, completely vindicated. Like we know you didn't do this. So let's go through our hits and how we are able to draw that conclusion.
0: Hit me, Jen. Oh, my gosh. Well, the fact that we ended up in Cahokia is nuts. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, because not only was it um, a major French settlement, but it was the first European, the first permanent European settlement in the entire Mississippi Valley. mm mm Yeah. That's crazy. And kind of the sister city to Kaskaskia.
1: And while we were there, you were feeling that heavy-legged feeling Yeah, like I was going to faint. Mm-hmm. I was, Mm -hmm. of course, the woman on trial. I mean, that's obvious. Oh, for sure. The vulnerability and combativeness.
0: That completely makes sense now. That would have been what Marie Jean was feeling. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the burial on the property. This gets me. That would have been reference, I think, to Marie Jean's birth. Mm
1: -hmm. You know, she
0: did bury it. She Put it in the ground. Near the pigsty. And the phantom
1: smells. <gasps> oh my gosh. I know. The phantom smells. That's insane. But let's
0: remember, Jill, let's be completely honest. We were never in Kaskaskia. We did not go there.
1: I know. But legit, when we were going through this and we found reference to this historical event we bought a book that referenced and had um, transcripts of the trial and in the book as an example of life and times and context they had
0: a picture of the courthouse we were at our courthouse where we were standing our courthouse i take that as validation in cahokia that is validation oh my god
1: for sure that's
0: a big ass breadcrumb i have to ask you a question though please do the white feather
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: Okay. I have a theory about why Spirit was showing me a white feather. Tell me. Obviously, we're giving Marie Jean a voice. We already said that. Oh, my gosh, She's our voiceless for sure. But you know who else I think needs a voice, Jill? Hmm. I think Lizette. I think Lizette is sorry. And I think that white feather is a symbol of an apology from her.
1: You know what, Lizette? It's too soon for me. You know? <laughs> I'm just, I'm not there yet. I'm kind of still so upset about this. That's fair. That's fair. Maybe we can talk later, but no, I, I I know she was 10, but it's like, come on. She was a she, kid. Marie Jean had such a... She was a child, know, and she was probably told
0: by her master what to say, and really, that she would have had no mm, choice.
1: That's true.
0: She was 9 or 10. So let's be fair to Lizette. Well, it's depressing, but another great story.
1: Huh? It was a surprising story. I really, I like the story. It's just when you when you really think about those circumstances, it's just a gut punch, man. It is. Not cool. It is. Well, hopefully the next one will be a
0: little more upbeat. And when you
1: say the next one, you're talking about the next one from our Common Mystics
0: road trip? Our Common Mystics Kansas road trip. Yay! 2021. Yes. All right, Jill, tell the people where they can find us. Until then, you can check us out at our
1: website, commonmystics.net. Find us on Facebook and Instagram. Listen in on Amazon Music, Tuned In, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, where you can leave us a positive review so other people can find us. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Good night. Good night.